you'll hear often about how there's a you know a capital availability issue in the southeast. And historically, yes, you know it's, it's harder to raise capital in the southeast, but the best companies always get funded, and our growth plans are there such that we are in a position to be that capital provider in all of the different hubs across the southeast. Hello, and welcome to the Founder Shares podcast. We're so happy that you've chosen to spend some time with us. I'm your host, Trevor Schmidt. I'm an attorney at Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. We work with founders and entrepreneurs in technology and life science companies, start up, operate, get funded, and exit. We are daily inspired by the people we work with and want a chance to share some of these stories with you, our listener. So whether you're already an entrepreneur, want to be one someday, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from idea to success, or not such a success. This podcast is for you. Today's guest is Charlie Banks, Managing Director at Venture South, an early stage venture firm that provides capital and expertise to startups throughout the Southeast with its angel investment network and funds. To date, Venture South has invested over $60 million in over 90 companies. It has expanded from Greenville, South Carolina to multiple locations throughout the Southeast, including a location right here in the Triangle. On the show, Charlie talks about his relationship with founders and advice that he can give for anyone running a company, because he's seen some major successes, like Venture South's investments in companies like Spiffy and Emergo Therapeutics, and he's seen his share of failures as well. For Charlie, growing up, he always wanted to be a sports agent. His dad was a lawyer, and he had taken the LSAT, ready to enroll in law school. But before he could do that, he got a little taste of investing in entrepreneurship and was hooked. I uh, got involved in some real estate investments, and I guess it was timing and luck more than anything, but uh, made some money uh, in that and started making bets in companies that I just thought were interesting, you know, and entrepreneurs that were doing some cool stuff. And I had no idea really what angel investing was at the time, and I guess you could say that's what I was doing. But through all that, I had started couple of you know small small things myself some of them were successful most of them were not but you know looking back on that time it was really just about educating educating myself on what not to do that education is something that charlie and the rest of the team at venture south provide both to their investors in the fund and the entrepreneurs they're backing to start today i asked charlie about some of the successes he's had with the fund my favorite success story is that we we backed a young team that took an idea that they had in, in college, turned it into a successful business, and, and, and we were really able to watch the matriculation all the way from inception and idea and, and you know senior thesis all the way through a massive multi-million dollar exit. And that just seeing the full process is kind of my off-the-cuff answer as to what's been my favorite success story. Now, is there something about that team or, or that business and the idea that they had that kind of stands out as far, as far as why they were successful versus some of these other investments or companies that you've worked with that maybe didn't pan out in the same way? The fact that just how coachable they were. I mean, these guys were, they were college seniors when we, when they first reached out to us, they had absolutely no idea what they were doing. And I, you know, I've been there and I've seen it and I, see, I still see it a lot, but they didn't know what they were doing. And they were hungry for the educational aspect of what they're wanting to get into. You know, when we first invested, we put a, you know, we helped them form a great board, taught them about board governance. We just really, really able to see that how coachable they were and, and, and then how they took the coaching and applied it to their business model. And it, and it just worked. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I find that to be the interesting dynamic for, for successful entrepreneurs is both having the sheer confidence in what you're doing to be able to push forward with the business, but at the same time being open and, and able to take direction and coaching and instruction from advisors or other people. It, it's, it's a balance that I think the, the best entrepreneurs strike very, very well. Absolutely. Yeah, the mentorship piece of it is, is just, it's so critical. It's, it's really hard being an entrepreneur. It's very hard, you know. Not only, you know, not on the business coaching side of it, just the mental, the mental coaching side of it is such a big piece that most people seem to overlook. And entrepreneurs inherently, you know, egotistical maniacs, right? They're just they they think they're going to solve the world, and and that's what makes entrepreneurship so fantastic. It's because most of them do solve the world. But when you balance that with the coaching and understanding that you know, taking this maniacal approach to how you're building a career you know, and combine that with the coaching and, and make something great out of it. That, that really is what's so fascinating about entrepreneurship and angel investing. So now you've, you've talked about being an angel investor or angel investment for a couple of times now. For our listeners who don't really aren't familiar with that term or what it means to be an angel investment group, can you provide us a little background? Yeah, sure. So angel investors are, are very simply individuals who invest their own money and expertise in, in companies. It differs greatly from what most people attribute to the capital available to early stage companies or any companies is venture capital. So venture capital is, is that, you know, it's oftentimes invested in the same type of companies, but that capital is coming from fund managers that are investing on behalf of other people. Angel investors are investing in, again, the same type of companies, perhaps a little bit earlier stage at times, but they're investing their own money. Uh, so they're making, they're making the decision whether or not to, to, to invest in that company. So what we do at Venture South is we're, we're effectively providing folks an avenue to a you know, professionally curated deal flow, the diligence, you know, the education piece, the, you know, the entrepreneur facing engagement. And then we're just providing folks with the ability to make personal investments into these companies. We aggregate the capital on their behalf, but again, they're, make, they're making the decision to make the investments themselves. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting distinction, I guess. So even for Venture South, if it comes down to whether $100,000 or $250,000 is getting invested in this company, how's that decision being made? Yeah, so we're, you know, Venture South, you know, on the, on the, the headquarter piece of it, uh, we're looking at 20 or 30 deals every month all over the Southeast. Our internal staff and the managing directors, each of us, uh, we will select a handful that we think meet the criteria for a successful angel investment, which we'll talk about here in a, here in a bit. So we'll take those uh, that handful of companies, uh, and then we'll invite them into a formal screening meeting. At that point, the members themselves will hop onto a screening meeting, and it's all virtual. It was even, it was even virtual before virtual school. The company founders will make the pitch, and the the investors, the angel investors themselves, will then indicate to the venture south staff which ones they want to see move to the next process. So they're indicating to us, what, you know, effectively what they see is interesting. So then we will take the top vote getter. And then over the next four to six weeks, we will form a diligence team comprised of the Venture South staff uh, and any of the members that raised their hand and said, hey, I'd like to help uh, do the research on the company. So then we'll peel back the layers of the company. We'll, you know, we'll do our own modeling. We'll look at the company, the success, you know, what, what it looks like at success, go to market plans or financial models, all, you know, et cetera. Uh, and then we'll, we will present those findings uh, to the, the broader investment base of Venture South. Uh, and at that point, the members will then say they're in or out. 
Okay. If they're in, they indicate to us they want to make the investment, you know, and then we, we, we collect funds that way. Uh, and then we make the investment uh, into the company. Uh, so that's kind of how it works in terms of the member involvement. And then as far as after the investment is made, you know, in my mind for like a VC investment, a lot of times you're, you're having people on boards or you still have continued kind of advising roles with, within the company. Is that something that Venture South does? Is that something your angels do? How does that work out? Yeah. So, you know, we, we board governance is a, is a huge element of success in this arena because ultimately, the, you know, the, the board is there not necessarily from an operational standpoint, but more so and more importantly, so the strategically on growing the company and, and ultimately exiting it. Uh, so we generally take a board seat in most of our investments. Sometimes it's just an observation seat where it's not necessarily a, a board seat that makes decisions or votes on um, you know company business. Myself, Matt, and Paul sit on sit on some boards, but generally speaking, due to the size of our, our network, we're able to reach out. And, and call the expertise of the membership to see how it would best fit with that specific company. Uh, and then we also do a significant amount of education for our board members uh, in these companies. And that education is centered around our involvement being the voice of exit, right? So we want, we want our folks to be the ones that ask at every board meeting, what are we doing to, to build toward the ultimate idea of, of exiting the company? Well, and, and I think that touches on, I mean, I, as I understand it, your focus is on kind of early stage investments. Can you talk a little bit about why that focus and the risks and benefits for, for you and for the company and, and how you think about that? Yeah, early stage is, is defined differently by everybody, right? Early stage is sometimes defined as, you know, all the way down into whether, you know, where it's just a concept and you're, you're betting on that individual, that team's. Uh, idea. Often, in other times, it's a little bit later stage where they're actually generating revenue. And it might not be in a lot. It might just be one dollar to one customer, but that's post revenue, you know. Mm-hmm. So, with the way Venture South views where we like to invest is, you know, right after the company has started generating some revenue, they've got you know, an identifiable marketplace. They've got you know customers that are interested in their product or service. Um, they're making money, you know, such that we can we can model it out to what it would look like at scale. So we're, we are generally not investing in companies that are pre-revenue. Now, that's that, that's perhaps too broad of a way to say that because there are times and there are companies that you know, like sometimes medical devices need need some regulatory approvals and such. So that's a, that's handled a bit differently. But we like companies that are in that early revenue phase and our money takes them to the point where they're generating significant revenue in, in their industry. And is there a specific industry or technology focus for your investments or are you open to really kind of anything across the board? We're, we're very opportunistic angel investors, but you know, generally speaking, you know, it's tech enabled. There's a lot of tech enabled is kind of the, the, the best broad way to say that. You know, there's some kind of a moat in terms of not necessarily IP, but, you know, there's just there, there's some kind of a protection against uh, competitors. Typically speaking, we don't do a whole lot of consumer products. There's just, you know, or, or anything that takes a, you know, takes a tremendous amount of capital to compete. That tends to be a little riskier than we, than we want to do. But what that leaves you is a whole lot of everything, you know. Right. 
Well, and when you talk about looking for for an exit in a reasonable time frame as well, I think you know being tech enabled allows you to accomplish that a little bit better than some of these other companies. That's right. So you know, talk about the the focus on the southeast. You know, I understand that that your focus is kind of in this this area. What was the thought process behind that, and how do you find some of the challenges and opportunities in this geography versus some of the other national markets that uh, people are looking at? Yeah, you know, so that all simply boils down to valuation. Uh, we feel like the companies in the southeast are valued according, you know, according to the, the the risk profile. You know, you can look at Silicon Valley and Austin, Boston, New York. You can look at some of these other major venture hubs. Uh, and the valuations are significantly higher than what you would see in the Southeast. Now, that's good for investors. Not often, you know, one could make the argument that is not not as good for the, you know, for the, the companies. But what that what that gives folks is an opportunity to build a diversified portfolio of early stage investments that are valued according to the risk that you're taking. And it gives you the best opportunity to make money. You have to be in this game to make money, right? If you're doing it for any other reason, it's venture philanthropy. So um, <laughs> we, we, we talk about that often is that, uh, but being in the Southeast, you know, we, we, again, we just, it, it's very simply, we feel like the valuations are in line with the risk. Talk, you mentioned this a little bit as, as far as when you talk about balancing out the team between your managing directors, but how much of your time is spent with attracting investors versus identifying investment opportunities? And how do you think about the different sides of those jobs and how important it is to, to Venture South? So when we first started Venture South, we were, we were, you know, we were a startup ourselves. We've had to drink our own Kool-Aid for about a decade now. When we first started, Matt, Paul, and I had to do all of it, every bit of it, you know, from deal sourcing to diligence to portfolio management to investor relations. I mean, the tax side of it, we had to do all of it. So over the course of the years, like every successful company that starts, the founders have the, the, the ability to now hire out what you're not good at, what you're specifically individually not good at. Um, so Matt, Paul, and I have been able to do that over the course of, of us building this company. I spend, the, I'd say the vast majority of my time, 60, 70% of it is on um, sourcing the investors themselves. So we, we've got some pretty, pretty significant growth plans ahead of us for Venture South. So as we expand the network, uh, a lot of my time is spent looking at the different markets and entrepreneur hubs across the Southeast to feel, you know, to, to get a better feel and understanding of where our model fits. Yeah. And so I guess, do you get a sense as far as the balance? Do you feel, and maybe this is talking about your growth plan, but I mean, do you feel that there's more investment opportunities than you have for investors or do you have right now more investors than you have investment opportunities? We don't have a, we don't have a pipeline problem. Okay. Uh, there, yeah, there are a lot of fantastic companies uh, in the Southeast. And so part of our growth plans is, is, is to be in these various hubs uh, so that we're in a position to, to know about these companies. You know, the, the, the best companies always get funded. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's not a you know you'll hear often about how there's a you know a capital availability issue in the southeast and historically, yes, you know it's, it's harder to raise capital in the southeast, but the best companies always get funded, and our growth plans are there such that we are in a position to to be that capital provider in all of the different hubs across the southeast. Well, and I think that provides a nice segue because I mean there are certain economic uncertainties that are going on right now, you know, I see in the past six to 12 months, you've seen a significant decrease in some 
investment opportunities and some activity in, in, in the space. What do you feel as far as those pressures now? And where do you see the next one to three years for the startup community and in, in, in your investments? Historically, some of the most successful companies in the world have been started in peculiar economic times. You know, you look back at post-08 timeframe and, and you've got folks made a tremendous amount of money backing companies that were started in that recession. Mm-hmm. So we, we are, we're pretty bullish on, on what it looks like. You know, just re- remember back when I said earlier is that angel investors are folks that invest their own money. And oftentimes this is a very small allocation of their overall investable assets, perhaps only 5%, sometimes less. So I won't go as far as to say that the allocation that people are putting into this asset class is fun money, but it is, it is certainly money that folks have already put aside or they should put aside for incredibly risky type, uh, type investments, you know, and that alternative asset class. And that's where we fall. We're not terribly concerned that, you know, capital is going to dry up because there's uncertainty in the market. Again, like I said, best companies get funded. People still have a whole lot of money. And if they are doing this in a way that they're understanding portfolio math, meaning that they've got to make enough of these investments to where the good ones outweigh the bad ones, and they're doing this in a, uh, an efficient manner so they're not tapping outside of their, you know, their set boundary of allocation. Um, so that's kind of my, my two ways to answer that is that uncertainty breeds success at times in the market, and people, shouldn't, people should not be investing large uh, allocations of their overall investable assets in, into what we do. Now, is there any part of almost like a counter-cyclical aspect of angel investing where if they can't get returns in the stock market or other places, they, they look to angel investing? Or is that not something that you've seen? Yeah, you know, it, some, sometimes you know, we'll hear that sentiment from folks, but uh, more times than not, folks come to us because they see it's, it's fun, it's exciting. You know, they're getting exposure into new technologies. You know, we've got an investor base of almost 500 people. So from the collective expertise, of nearly 500 extremely smart people that are primarily based in the Southeast. Uh, there's an element of a, a, you know, it's kind of, folks call it the intellectual country club. Uh, so it's, it's just a whole lot of fun, but we also take it very seriously and, you know, and we're extremely ROI focused. So, you know, the caliber of diligence is such that folks understand that, you know, that we're in this to make money. And so you combine all that and what you come up with is an opportunity to, to you know, make money, have fun and do some good. Yeah, that sounds fun from the investor side. What are you What are you hearing from your 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 companies that you're working with? Are they concerned about the economic environment, or are they just pushing ahead? And there's a little bit of concern. It's not necessarily availability of capital. It's more so that we're seeing some of the valuations get pushed down a bit. Oftentimes, it's because the investors are using using the uncertainty their, to their benefit, which you know it, it, that that happens. But no, more times than not, I mean. The companies that are doing what they need to do and meeting and meeting the milestones and growing year over year and quarter over quarter, the, the capital is still available. We've seen some some companies that have expedited their thought process around time to exit, you know, because we don't know what it looks like, you know, twelve months out or so. Some of our boards are having a little bit deeper discussions on around exit timing. So I think we've got we've got one right now that that is a you know about to exit and their decision to exit at this time was really based on, you know, let's go ahead and strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. So many of our listeners are, are, are founders or someday hope to be and, and maybe thinking about taking on investment at some point in time. 
you know, what advice would you give to a founder who's thinking about taking on an angel investment or preparing for that screening meeting or that pitch? I mean, because in my mind, you know, since you're working with a panel of individual investors, the angel pitch may be a little bit different than it is if you're working directly just with VCs. So tell me how you think about that. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it absolutely starts with educating yourself on the process. And, and Trevor, part of what you just mentioned is that kind of knowing your audience. If you're pitching a, you know, a tech-enabled B2B software company to strictly medical device investors, that doesn't go over well. <laughs> so it's one, educating yourself on the process, educating yourself on, you know, who your audience is. And two, knowing your numbers. I can't, we, we cannot stress that enough is that, uh, you know, companies fail for one reason and one reason only, that they run out of cash. That mm -hmm. is the only reason companies fail. Now, you can argue, people, people love to argue this point all the time, is that, well, they say, well, no, there wasn't product market fit, or I didn't have the right person in the sales role. Well, the byproduct of those two were not having enough revenue and not having enough cash, so the company fails. So it's keeping an eye on your cash balance at, at all times and understanding um, you know, your runway. Once you have a good handle on your runway, that also dictates when you need to raise money. We spend a lot of time with founders on on the the raise timing. And so, what are what are some of the thoughts as far as that? Both with regard to when should I first be reaching out to Venture South? Is it when you know I need an investment in two to three months, or is it I, I should be like, hey, from day day one, trying to have those conversations? I, I mean, day one, day zero. Yeah, I mean, you you, you can't do it soon enough. You've got to be on the radar, folks like us, pretty early, and, and that's not a venture south dynamic. That's a capital raising dynamic. Even even at you know at that conceptual phase, because in order to raise money effectively, you have to be you have to position the company for funding. The way you do that is understanding what the investors are wanting. Having understanding of that early so that you can plan accordingly is is pretty critically important. So aside from you know, the, the financial position and knowing your numbers, what are some signals or cues a company could give that suggests that they either are a good candidate for investment or that's going to send up red flags to, to either venture south or to your, your angels? Yeah, if, if your growth and runway shows you running out of money, <laughs> that's a, at least a really good start as to whether or not you should be a company looking to raise funding. You know, so if you're you know, if your growth plans dictate that you, you know, you're going to run out of money at some point, you know, that that's a, that's a great place to start. If you're in a market where there's a lot of M&A activity and you're building the company to exit, that's another really good place to be uh, in terms of attracting outside capital. We are not interested in investing in lifestyle companies. If you're starting a company to pass it down to your children, we're not a good fit. So just kind of understanding all of that going into building a company or raising money, put yourself in a really good, in a good place. And how much of, of your investment thinking goes into team and, and makeup of the team? And how, how do you get to know that? And is that something that either people can plan for or present well? If you look at our diligence report, exit strategy and the team is the, the top criteria uh, that we look at. Teams are, are very important because you know we have to have the gut feel on whether or not you or this team is the one to execute on, execute on the plan that you're presenting. Complementary teams is something that's very important. Oftentimes, we'll look at a you know a CEO founder type role, and you know is this person a, a sales oriented CEO or, or are they a you know an R and D oriented CEO? 
nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong if, if, if that's the case, but uh, is there a complimentary person on the team that can sell the product or service? So I'd say those are two of the elements that I think we look at the most is the complimentary team piece and, you know, and the coachability. That's another big piece of it. You know, is there area of technology or, you know, a type of company that like you personally are excited about right now and seeing where it goes in the next five years, not a specific company, just like a category of company that you think has interesting opportunities? Yeah. If, if, if you were to ask me that yesterday, I probably would have had a different answer, but uh, I guess, you know, I, I woke up today <laughs> thinking of, uh, about the, you know, how much advancement is going to be made in the ag tech industry. You know, this new telescope, the new telescope images that came out this week, it just, it's, that's some fascinating, fascinating stuff. So, and I think as that is the ag tech industry takes these giant advancements in, in technology, I think we're going to see, we're going to see impacts that we don't quite even understand yet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I've kind of been doing a good bit of reading on, you know, some, some of the, these ag tech companies are coming out of the Southeast and we're pretty excited about them. Yeah, and I think it is a good opportunity, especially for this geography. I mean, there's just a chance to really cement a foothold in in, in both ag tech and, and opportunities that come out of that. But yeah, yeah, and, and also it's also important to have investor bases that understand industries. And you know, there's a, there's been a whole lot of money in the southeast generated from farming and you know the agriculture industry. So to the extent that we can put people uh, with very specific industry expertise into opportunities that you know they know a lot about the recipe is there for success yeah and how about kind of the flip side of that coin is there an industry that you see is past its prime and and not really something that that is going to be around in five years ten years yeah i'm very hesitant to answer that because (laughs) i know there's going to be one founder on here that says well well, crap i'm out of luck you know Prop tech has been one that um, prop tech. I'm not sure I'm familiar. Yeah, like um, real estate technology. Um, ah, yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. So a couple of years ago, we saw a you know a, a big influx of those deal of, of those type opportunities. That slowed down considerably. You know, I don't know if it's because people were focused on making money in real estate and not uh, and not trying to solve problems within the real estate industry. But that's one that we've seen a little bit of a slowdown. FinTech is another one that we've seen a, a bit of a slowdown. But honestly, I mean, there. If you ask folks that are purely fintech investors, they are just as excited now as they've ever been about kind of what the next, you know, handful of years look like in that industry. So, I mean, I, that was a very long and diplomatic way to not piss people off by my answer. Um, <laughs> but that's, uh, a, that's a skill you've got to have, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, to the extent, yeah. And how how much do you work with kind of u- the universities around the southeast to kind of either identify you know, new companies that are coming out or to kind of incubate the venture communities coming out of these universities? A lot. Yeah. We, we, you know, from, from large universities to small colleges, you know, I mentioned the one earlier about the, the two young kids. I mean, that was a, a small liberal arts college based in South Carolina. We're a, we've been able to make great inroads with, with, with small colleges like that, that have fantastic business program, business programs all the way up into, you know, large research universities that are doing some, you're doing some crazy awesome stuff with, you know, med devices and drug discovery and some other, and some other really cool industries. So that, that is very important to us is to have those relationships that, you know, as companies are spun out of these universities, whether it's through, you know, a founder with a tie to the university or some kind of, you know, commercialization office, it's important for us to be positioned to, to attract those type of opportunities. And, and you've talked a bit about it, but you know, you mentioned Venture South is growing, has these ambitions going forward. What do you see for the company five years from now, ten years from now? What's on your horizon? 
you know, there are still states, in, you know, that we're not in. We don't have a big presence in Alabama and Florida being two. Next week, we're kicking off uh, our first group in Tennessee. So we, we, we've got a group in Chattanooga that's starting up. You know, we're pretty well covered in North and South Carolina. We've got one group in Virginia looking at some other opportunities in Virginia. I'd say Kentucky's another one that they've got some really interesting companies coming out of some incubators and accelerators. We're also looking at how we continue to support the companies as they grow, you know, some potential fundraising opportunities for later stage companies, as well as even earlier stage. So I think there's a whole lot of opportunity for us to support companies, you know, across the spectrum of development. So do you think your geographies will ever reach outside of the Southeast into other underserved markets or are you pretty set on that, that focus? Yeah, we're, we're pretty set. We do have a large group of investors that live outside the Southeast, but you know, from a geography standpoint, I don't see us moving outside the Southeast in terms of footprint. A quick side story is that the name uh, Venture South, the way we came up with that is that back to my, my earlier comment about valuation in the Southeast, you know, we we're very bullish on the valuation. So we've always wanted investors to come to the Southeast to make investments. So we want the high network folks to venture South and, uh-huh. and what, you know, we, so from a, our, our logo is a, is a duck and birds migrate South. So that's kind of the, the story around the name. I, I like the, the unified branding. It works well. Yep. So if one of our listeners was like, I, I you know, I really want to do, what, what Charlie's doing. It sounds great. You know, he talks about being excited to wake up each morning. And it sounds like an interesting ecosystem. You know, what are the steps that that person should be thinking about taking and how do they get involved kind of either out of school or while they're in school to, to kind of set the path forward for them? I'd say the education piece, you know, I mean, okay. get, get educated on the process, get educated on, on the terminology and verbiage within our industry. You know, it's always so refreshing to me that when a when an undergrad or a business school, uh, business school or a grad school student comes, you know, already has an understanding of the valuation impacts on a, on a cap table and, you know, and how the cap table impacts the waterfall and all this stuff that we do on a daily, daily basis that, you know, the, the college kids, if, if they understand that, that puts them way ahead of a lot of their peers. There's an element of kind of a workforce development piece that we've took a, you know, we've taken some deliberate proactive steps to try to impact through our relationships with some of these, with these colleges and universities, specifically Furman. We've got a fantastic partnership with Furman University through an analyst program that we've started with them. Uh, So just get involved in the ecosystem, get, you know, educate yourself on, on um, what we do, how we do it. And, you know, and there's, there, there are going to be plenty of opportunities uh, in the coming years as to be venture, venture practitioners in the Southeast. Tell me a little bit more about that program with Furman. What's that look like? We started the the Venture South Analyst Program uh, in partnership with Furman, and uh, each semester we have eight, eight, ten, or twelve kids. Uh, it's, it's very competitive to get in, and we've effectively ing- um, ingrained them in every element of our process. So they sit in on diligence teams, they come to our meetings. So it's been a it's been a really fantastic partnership, and you know, big kudos to Furman University for being proactive and trying to and tr- trying to you know put their kids in these in these types of environments. Yeah, that sounds like a great program. So we are the Founders Shares podcast. And so I always like to ask all of our guests, if, if you could share one piece of advice with someone thinking about starting a company, what would it be? Understanding the impact of cash on the business. You, you have to be funded, right? You have to have enough cash to grow. I've learned the hard way in you know, some of my early endeavors that thought that you know, we could just make money to fund the business, you know, we can, you know, and, and that's, that's a great way to, to go about it. But 
if you're really trying to get the scale that you're looking at, you're, you know, you have to have cash on the balance sheet to support the growth. Have you, have you seen kind of in your experience, a company that from all sense and purposes, all the point towards like a successful company, but was not able to either generate the cash or generate the revenue that they needed through other means, like a company that should have been successful, but just because they didn't have the cash, couldn't move forward. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of those, honestly. And oftentimes the reason they weren't successful, it was because early on, they didn't really plan for that accordingly. Yeah. And they made decisions and, you know, and sometimes they even grew too fast and it was just mushroom growth element that they just toppled over. So, yeah, I mean, those were out there, but it just kind of underscores the importance of, of understanding that the lack of cash is the number one reason companies fail. Yeah. Well, Charlie, I really appreciate kind of the insights that you're providing and kind of what you're doing and, and the information we're able to provide today. You know, if our listeners are interested in connecting with you or interested in connecting with Venture South, what's kind of the best way to reach out? VentureSouth.vc um, is our website. Uh, that's probably the first place to start. Also pretty active on social media. So, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, things like that, you know, we, we provide a lot of content there. Uh, I'd probably point, you know, another great place to go is uh, our blog on the website. We're pretty active writers uh, on, on, on things associated with, with the industry. You know, I'm personally a, a, an avid reader. So our website has a list of books that it's kind of a running list of books that we tell all folks to read. Basil Peters' Early Exits is one that I, I always tell people to read. Investors and entrepreneurs alike, that, that's, a, that's a book that folks need to really understand. Those are all good places to get, to get started with. That was Charlie Banks, Managing Partner at Venture South, which again, you can find at venturesouth.vc. That's V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S-O-U-T-H dot V-C. If you're a founder or business owner and need legal advice, we'd love to hear from you. You can start by visiting our website at hutchlaw.com. That's H-U-T-C-H-L-A-W.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and we'll talk to you next time on the Founder Shares Podcast.